1: And you might have some that are quick to warm up and they're easy to be around. You like them. You kind of connect with them. You have others that are slow. It takes you a lot of time. And then you have those hard to warm up kids, those hard to love kids. And it's very easy. And parents often make this mistake. And I could understand why they would. They roll in the direction of the one they take up for. And then the other mate defends the others and now you've got a house divided. And here is an example of someone who got their feet washed, treated as an equal, even though you knew that they weren't. Secondly, Jesus sat Judas on his left side Again, knowing what would happen But still not dissing him or dishonoring him Still treating him Perhaps allowing this situation to occur So he could model what it means to love the unlovely and the betrayers How important that is But he also did something else He gives them that little bit of morsel Now there's some debate Some people say that the person who's the host Would often take the little morsels And give it to the people to eat around the table It could be that it might be that. Probably is that. But maybe that doesn't fit our culture. You know what I think of? I think of, and this sounds kind of weird, but it'd be like if you go to a Mexican restaurant. Have you ever had chips in front of you and some salsa? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. And when they bring it, you're so glad because you can't wait to get your chips and dip it in there and you wish they'd bring your own chips and they're just going after that. But now, let's say you took your chip. Watch this, guys. Guys, you'll relate real well. Take your chip. Your wife has already say now no, double dip. Don't double dip. You dip it, you eat it, that's it. Start with a new chip. You don't think about that. You dip it, you get your chip, you put some salsa on it, but instead of you eating it, you give it to someone else and bring it up to their mouth to eat. Now, if I saw a bunch of guys at a Mexican restaurant and a couple of guys doing that to one another, I'd wonder, hmm, wonder what's going on. It's really a sign, truly, of love and intimacy. You know, some of you have done that do you remember when you got married? Do you remember after you said the vows and after you've done all the fun stuff, they bring this beautiful wedding cake out in front of you? What do you do once that cake is put out in front of you? You cut the cake and then what do you do? You take that cake and you feed it to your mate. And all the rest of us are saying, okay, smash his face, smash his face. you know. And that happened to Carol and me. Not that we smashed each other's face, but I thought, you know what, we need to honor each other. So I tried to get the smallest peace because her mouth is so small and i wanted to feed it and she's feeding it's a sign of intimacy it's a sign of serving it's a sign of connecting it's bringing this together to say i love you now i don't think judas dipped his and gave it to jesus but i think what was happening here is that there was something very special but behind all of that jesus was answering the question because he said Who is it? They said, who is it? He said, the one I dipped the morsel. So he did all of that. So he's sending a signal. So there's kind of like a double message going on here. Do you think these guys got it? Absolutely not. Go back to the passage again. These guys just didn't get the message. goes on here. After he dipped it, we know he took it and gave it to Simon, and Satan entered into him. That's another whole concept, but it really happens. Judas, at that time, totally gave his soul over to Satan, There was no more hope for him. I can only imagine for a moment what that must have been like because Judas not only heard all of this stuff, he's seen it all, all the messages about greed, all of the messages where he heard already that there'd be one that would betray him and it'd be worse for that person to even be born than to betray the Son of God. He knew all of that stuff and yet he knew it all and he rejected it. I'm thinking about those who hear the gospel over and over and over and over and over again and yet they hear it again and again and they keep getting a stiff back and they say, I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. There's always hope for that person before they die to trust Christ. But I will tell you, it becomes more difficult because Satan continues to own and bind and confuse and blind those people from the gospel. And I don't know where you are right now, but please don't do this because you're only setting the cement of your heart. In this case, Satan actually took over completely. Now let's go back to verse 28. It says, Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. Now, why did he say this about the morsel and the... What's going on right here? For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, Buy the things we have need of for the feast. So go on out. Do it quickly. Go get some more stuff here. We we're going to have a feast. We don't have enough stuff. That would be telling us that uh, they, and perhaps Jesus, you know, but in this case they, saw that he carried the money. He was responsible. He was the servant. He... He's kind of like the treasurer of the group. He was the guy that took care of the money. But then others were saying, no, no, maybe uh, he's going to give something to the poor. Sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? So they're thinking, gee, Judas is really responsible, or wow, he's really compassionate. However, look up here for a moment. Do a scripture search, and you're going to find that it says about Judas in other places that he wanted to take care of the money because he pilfered from it. In fact, he got so upset when Mary and Martha and Lazarus had a special dinner of honor for Jesus that Mary then poured this expensive perfume on Jesus and that perfume was so expensive it was like one year's salary. So in your mind, how much you could pay a year? Think about all that in one bottle of ointment and then pour it on somebody. Now that's what was going on. Judas was livid over this. He was so upset that she would do this because he pilfered from it. So I don't know how much money he had on the box, but... He would be buying things for himself now here's something very interesting remember the story i just told about mary martha porn all that that happened just a day or so before this event that could have been the final touchstone that finally said i'm not a part of the group i'm very bitter i'm greedy how could they do this and he really at that time allowed a circumstance for him to totally reject christ and satan now to enter into his life and here's what i'm saying Some of us could be looking at life around us and we could begin looking at that and defining it for ourselves and we're now saying, this gives us right to, quote, not love. This gives us right not to be the way we should be. And all of a sudden, we've given ourselves over to Satan and that will hinder us from having a relationship with someone else that God would want us to have. So that's what's going on in this portion here. Now let's see what happens next. So after receiving the morsel, he went on immediately and it was night. I like what a lot of commentators said when they said it was night. It wasn't just that it was nighttime, although it was. It was like total blackness takes over at this time. It was like the darkness of sin. It was like this was the last bit of hope at that moment for what was going on in Judas's life. So over Jerusalem, over Judas, over the event, there was a night that came in. Let me talk for a moment about those that might betray you. Remember what I said? These guys couldn't pick out Judas. One reason is because Judas was treated the same, like everybody else by Jesus. Betrayers are hard to spot. Betrayers are hard to spot. Some of those that do the most damage to you emotionally are those that betray you, and the pain is just so extensive. I was, um, I was on staff of a Bible college years ago, And the president of the school had a massive moral failure. He brought everybody into a room, played a tape, and he walked out to his adult children crying and the wife crying. And We're listening to this about his moral failure and that he was leaving and going off somewhere. I was in the dean's office at the time as a staff member, and there was three responses from people that were around us. After this, the first response was, I can't believe it. Is that really true? It's this, it must, someone's making this up and he's having to do this because they're lying about him. They denied it completely. Then there were others that were saying, you know, I saw things in his life, but nah. You know how you sometimes see it after the fact? There was a little signs out there, but I just didn't see him. But now it all makes sense. There were some that said that. And then there were a few of us that were saying, we, we, we should have said something. We knew there was something. There was a skunk in here, but we could smell it, but we couldn't see it. We smelt the smoke, but couldn't see the flames. And we should have confer- but we were afraid of our jobs. We were afraid of the repercussions that would come. We were betrayed. Others tore up their diplomas. It was a horrible scene, and the college is now no more. Now I said all that to say that it's hard to spot a betrayer. So some of you that have been betrayed, you might beat up on yourself. But sometimes they're sneaky and they're sly. And the more intelligent they are, the more they know how to cover their tracks. Be careful. What did Jesus do? He still accepted him into the group until he gave him over to Satan. And there's a difference between accepting and approving. Judas never got another chance to trust Christ he was condemned forever and ever and ever and ever. So Jesus loved him to the end because while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for him. While Judas was sinning, Jesus went to the cross in a sense. Although he committed suicide before then, the idea still is he didn't approve him, but he did accept him. And so when you have someone like that in your life, it doesn't mean you have to do flip-flops over them and I love you because they did something wrong and they betrayed you. But in some measure, you can still demonstrate your love and understand that they acted as if they were an enemy to you. So you love them, you pray for them, you bless them. Do good for them. Well, there's one more person in this story. We need to kind of get to that real quick. So let's look at it, shall we? So he went out. Therefore, when the when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God has glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer, just a few more hours. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now also I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so you pause there and you think, wait a minute, what does all that mean? Now, folks, this gets really critical if you want to study this a little bit further. It's at this point that the narrative changes because Judas is no longer in the midst and all of a sudden Jesus ramps up his teaching to these disciples because he is now officially getting ready to unleash them on the world and he's now letting them know what's happening. This is where the real mentoring begins. This is like you're in your senior year and the last part of your senior year, you're getting your last minute instruction. That's what's happening at this particular point. And let me ask you this. Sometimes when you do have someone who betrays you, they reject you and they get out of your life. You didn't kick them out. You love them. You're leaving the light on. You want them to come back. You want to help them. Blah, 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 all that. There is a relief, isn't there? Isn't there a sense of relief? Isn't it kind of like when you've got a team and you've got one bad apple in the team and that bad apple finally says, I'm out of here. It seems like that team does a little better after that. If you know what I mean, say, uh-huh. That's what's happening here. This guy is now gone. Jesus now can look at these guys and now he can just pour out his teaching. And so those of you that will be with us week after week, now you're going to see the 11 guys and what he does with them. And these 11 guys in a short time turn the world upside down. Back to the passage. When it talks about him being glorified, he's really talking about him being glorified on the cross. Remember, that was the joy set before him. He'd be crucified. He knew that was going to happen because he didn't look to the cross as being, yippee, the cross. What he was looking for is, I've got to get glorified. The way I get glorified is I've got to go through the cross and be resurrected. No glorification without a death and resurrection. So I am looking to the cross, but my glorification is going to be when I'm resurrected. And in addition to that, It's also when we are all together, glorified together, all glorifying and worshiping the Lord. So there's one big glorification. And those of you that have your Bible, while I'm preaching here, circle the word glorified in all of its conjugations, and then count how many times it's found in that passage of Scripture. Over and over again it talks about it. And he says, you can't come with me right now, meaning you can't go to the cross right now. So where I'm going to the cross, you can't come, meaning right now, because we'll see that a little bit later on. Then he gives the commandment to these guys. I give to you that you love one another. I believe he's talking about loving each other in the group, but I think there's a broader lesson. Even as I have loved you, which means I've done this in the past and I'm going to continue doing it in the future, that you also love one another. And if you do this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Now, if you don't have this marked and memorized, I urge you to do this. The way people know that we're a disciple is not if we have the name of our church on a license plate cover. The way that Jesus Christ is glorified and that they know that we're His disciples is not if we have a particular decal in the back of our car that says, He is greater than I. It's not going to be the t-shirts or the logos on mugs that we have when we drink our coffee. The way they're going to see that we're a disciple of Christ is if we love each other, even the unlovely those that are around us, we manifest that and not merely say, I love you, brother, I love you, sister. It's when we do the things necessary, such as... Joining up with them, fellowshipping with, spending time with them, forgiving them, accepting them, sacrificing for them. All of that is the way we demonstrate our love to one another. Well, Peter now comes on the scene as kind of the very end here. And what kind of a guy was he? He's the kind of guy that comes up and he kind of rushes past the truth. So Simon said to him, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? We can't, you can't, we follow you now. Will you follow me later, Jesus says. You can't come now. What I'm looking at is this. Jesus gave the most profound teaching there when he says, I give to you this love, this new commandment, that you love one another. And you would think Peter would say, wow, Jesus, that is really great. Let me take some notes on that. And I promise you that I will love one another. I want the world to know that I'm your follower here. I'm your student. That you're the king of kings. He didn't say that. He said, Lord, where are you going? In other words, he bypassed all of that great teaching in 34 and 35 because he was still hanging on what Jesus was saying in verse 31 through 33. Now I'm saying all that now to say this. You parents can identify. Has there ever been a time that you're kind of having a discussion and then you say, kids, I want you to listen to this, and you tell them this, and all they're thinking about is something that you said earlier on? Sometimes as as a teacher... I'll be teaching a class and as I'm teaching the class, I'm rocking and rolling in my message and all of this and I'm really wanting to get my point across and a kid raises his hand and he wants to know what time's lunch? You know, it's kind of like that's what's going on at this time. It's like he just didn't get this truth. Now you're going to have people that you pour your heart into and they just get all the surfacey stuff. They want to get all the stuff that surrounds it or the stuff that really wants something for themselves. And God says we have to love all of them. My question to you is, do you have a Judas in your life? And then will you love him like Jesus did? Do you have Peters that are in your life that will kind of rush right past you? If you did, if you do, what you might do is look at the relationship that, John, that Jesus and Peter has. All the time, Peter says the wrong thing at the wrong time. Most of the time, he does that. In all of the times when Peter does something wrong, Jesus then manifests what I call a forgiving spirit. Now, Jesus doesn't, Peter doesn't apologize But there's that forgiving spirit. And you know that he's being forgiven because he's put in the position he was in before he did that stupid thing. And that's what we have to do to those if we really love them. And that's what happened here. So Jesus is basically saying, Lord, um, uh, Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay my life down for you. Stupid statement. We know that he won't. Jesus, will you lay your down life for me? (laughs) Truly, I'm going to say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. He's saying, you're going to deny So I kind of look at one guy, Judas, who's the betrayer. I look at Peter, who's the denier, who kind of denies you, denies what you're saying, denies doing something, you do something for them, they don't reciprocate something back to you. You give and they take. You're going to have those kinds of people. But there's a third guy that we talked about a moment ago. His name was John. He's not mentioned there. The only thing I would like to say about John is this. John was the observant. He was right next to Jesus. He saw what was going on with Judas. He followed Peter in all of his conversations. And if anybody got the whole concept of love, it wasn't Judas. He rejected that. Peter was so struggling with this whole thing. He was so mixed up in this. John was the one who was, here it is, transformed by that love. So much so that the whole concept, here's a phrase, love one another, is found nine times in Scripture. Jesus says it two times in the two verses we've just studied. The Apostle Paul says it once in Romans 13. But John says it five times. And he says it most eloquently in 1 John 3, verse 11. And it says this. For this is the message you had from the beginning, that we should love one another. He's reminding those that read his letter that we already got this from the beginning from Jesus, that we're to love one another. John owned that. And so if I could leave you with this today, folks, love one another. In a moment, we're going to be serving the elements here. This is pretty much what went on at the Last Supper. This is what was going on with the guys around the table. This is what was going on. And Jesus was saying to them as he was saying all this about the elements, you love one another just as I loved you. And all the world will know that you are my disciples. Let's pray, shall we? Take a moment right now and just reflect on what we said today, particularly in the person of Christ. He loved you. And He loved you all the way to the cross. And when He died on that cross, He took all the sin you've ever committed and every will commit on Himself. And He says, now you come to Me. And since I went through all of that, what kind of works can you do that's going to make me happy? He said, "If, if, if works would get you into Heaven, I wouldn't have needed to go to the cross. So works don't do it. Following me is good, but Judas did that too, and then at the end he walked away. So it's not following and staying with me. He said, it's believing in me, trusting in me, receiving me totally as your personal Savior. In a sense, when you do that, to trust Christ, to fully trust Him, you're giving Him your, your soul. You're giving every ounce of you. You're saying, yes, Lord, you are the Lord. Yes, Lord, everything I know about, you are the one who will be my Savior. And so you're really coming to Him, totally relying every ounce of you on Christ. And you're saying, I believe in you because you said you'd forgive me and take me to heaven and give me an eternal life. I'll have an eternal relationship with you. Lord, thank you for that. So that's that completely giving yourself over to him by faith, not by works, not coming to him, showing him all the good stuff you did or all your good intentions you want to do. You're coming. And Jesus says, he that believes on me now has everlasting life. You get it before you die. So when you die, you already got it. And he said, just as I loved you, I loved you on the cross enough to die for your sin, even at a point in time before you ever trusted me. I did all that for you. I prepared the way for your salvation because I am that way. Those of you who are guests today, it's quite possible that the Lord brought you here today to hear that one part of the message, to assure you of your own personal salvation, that going to heaven is... By you trusting in Christ alone. Now you don't walk an aisle, fill out a card, stand up, raise your hand, say anything out loud. Nobody can do the believing for you. Nobody can pray you into heaven. All we can do is to deliver to you the message that Jesus died and he rose again and Jesus says to you, he that believes on me right now has everlasting life. Not he that behaves, not he that believes and behaves, just he that believes. On the authority of God and Christ who cannot lie, will you now bank your eternal destiny? Apart from that, there is no hope. That's the message that Jesus gave to his disciples of what he did. And now they're getting ready to take that message to the world. It's been passed down to us today in this room. Will you receive it? If you're doing that, I would like to pray for you. So I am going to ask you to raise your hand, but raising your hand won't get you to heaven. Me praying for you won't. But if you called upon the Lord by faith alone, and you're trusting in Him and Him alone, I would like to pray for you. Now, when I pray for you, I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to mention your name in my prayer. I'm not going to describe you. In no way am I going to embarrass you. Believing in Christ is done inwardly. It's a personal thing. I'm just acknowledging it by saying thank you, and that's it. And I'll just generally pray for you. I want to welcome you in God's forever family. So is there anyone here today that's ready to, to trust Christ as your personal Savior and you'd like for me to pray for you? Today is the day. Would you just slip up your hand because I'd like to know you're trusting Christ and you've done that and now you want me to pray for you. Put your hand up. Anyone at all? Anyone? Put it up. Put it down. Okay, Christians, I want you to think for just a moment. What does it mean to love others? Think about the one who's betrayed you. Think about the one who's rejected you rejected the things that you've done for them, the values that you have, will you love them? Will you be prepared for some of you that have never experienced that betrayal before so that you will still accept them even though you won't condone what they do? Will you love them? That's the kind of love that he says, to love one another. It doesn't qualify it. Love one another as if they do such and such. Just love one another. And then like Peter, will you be very careful that you don't grab a hold of the the peripheral stuff and make these bizarre commitments without hearing the one thing he tells you to do that he gives you the ability to do. Love one another as I have loved you. Because if you do, you will show the world that you are my disciples, saith the Lord. How many of you would like to have prayer because you're going to Seek the Lord for His love, not your love, His love for those people in your life that will rush past you, forget you, neglect you, deny you, for those who will betray you and reject you. And you'd like for me to pray for you, that you'd like to be one who can show to the world that you're His disciple because you will love one another. Would you slip up your hand? Amen. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we prepare for our communion time, We come before you right now and we say that, Lord, we're going to remember what you've done for us in the cross as as a model for us to sacrifice for others. We also want to say that we love others and we want to forgive them for the way they've hurt us. And we love them also enough to say that if we've offended them and done something that really grieved them, and it was a sin that we would make it right with them and not own that, but we'd humble ourselves, in a sense, wash their feet of their pain that we've caused. We've dirtied them up. We want to help clean them up. Lord, help us to do that so that as we take this communion, we're communing with the one who modeled this. We're communing with you who told us to do this because we love you, Lord, until you come again. In your name we pray. Amen.